We're hurting and despairing, wrestling with life in a culture opposed to Jesus. Storm clouds are mounting on the horizon as marginalization increases. We need hope, reminders of what is true, instructions for how to persevere. We must remain resilient. This is my bow. This is my hunting bow. Uh, it's efficient. It's lightweight. It's somewhat maneuverable. But the most important thing is it's quiet. It's quiet. So plenty of times I've, I've aimed up on a target that doesn't even know the shot's coming. All right, so I'll aim up, draw back, line up these fiber optic sights on my target, Take a deep breath, release. Nothing but air. Aiming for that perfect kill shot, like right behind the front shoulder blade. We're in a series this morning called Resilient. And what we've been learning is, is how, how to, to be resilient, how to have a resilient faith in the world today. And, and the past few weeks, we've learned about how God is able and sovereign to bring us through our trials, to bring us through our hardships. We've learned how our obedience in resiliency glorifies God. And just as much as God is rooting for us to be resilient people in our faith, in our faith we do have an enemy. There's somebody who doesn't want us to be as resilient. There's someone that wants to just cut that right out of who we are. And much like this bow, that enemy's tactics are quiet, stealthy. Most of the time, they're just completely undetected. In fact, the Bible talks about this enemy, and 1 Peter describes this enemy as a lion just prowling around, waiting to devour something. The Bible describes this enemy as scheming, as a liar, as a deceiver. There's something you need to know about deception and deceit. See, if I were to walk up to you and punch you in the face, you would know it. If I were to walk up to you and start saying horrible things about you, you would know it. But if I deceived you, you wouldn't know it. In fact, if you know, if you know you're being deceived, then you're not being deceived. Most people in this room right now are being deceived. This is my bow. I've never hunted. I don't even know if I could. I mean, the jury's still out with Renee and I. We're 50-50 as to whether I could even release an arrow into an animal. But up until this point, you thought I had. That's how deception works. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at the darker side of resilient. We're going to be taking a look at pride. This sense of pride that's, that's 
like an inflated sense of self, which leads to a complete disregard of other people. This sort of pride. Man, if, if deception is the enemy's favorite weapon, then pride is his favorite arrow to shoot at us. And what happens is this sort of pride turns into self-reliance, which when we think of our relationship with God and who God is calling us to be, it's moving us in the exact opposite direction of where we should be heading when it comes to having a resilient faith. One, one author wrote, wrote, make no mistake about it. That pride is the worst of all sins and that it's the devil's most effective and most destructive weapon. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to, to open up your word and even to draw from this story in Daniel 4 as we look at King Nebuchadnezzar just to, to be able to draw from it these truths and these principles. God, that you continue to, to work in the hearts of your people. God, that you continue to Allow us to see, you just give us the ability through your spirit to see these things and to call these things out in our lives. And so as we look at this element of pride, God, and how little we pay attention to it, how deceptive its attacks could be, I pray that your spirit works in us even now, that your spirit is working in our hearts, that we come out of this time together and your word growing closer together, but also growing closer to you through the mighty power of your son, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, we are gonna pick up in Daniel chapter four, and we're gonna get right into it. Because Daniel chapter four begins with where Daniel chapter three left off. Right? If you remember from last week, as Noah taught, we saw how God rescued his people through a fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar sees that, the king sees that, and he responds. That's where chapter four begins with his response to what's going on. Remember, he said at the end of chapter three, for there is no God who can deliver like this God. The king had witnessed that rescue, and he praises and he testifies of God's power. Seems like he really, really gets it. Daniel 4.3 says, how great are his miracles and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. It seems like the king really gets it now. But then verse 4 starts with I, Nebuchadnezzar. It starts to get personal. It starts to speak through the first person and he has a dream that really rattles him at the beginning of this chapter. So what does he do? Once again, the king, like we heard in previous chapters, he calls on his magicians and mediums and astronomers and astrologers and diviners. He calls his people, come interpret this. But they can't. Should sound familiar, right? Now here's what's interesting. 
the text says that Nebuchadnezzar finally calls on Daniel. Finally, Daniel. This is the king talking. Finally, Daniel named Belshazzar after the name of my God. And the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Came before me and I told him the dream. It's crazy that after all the king had testified about just verses before, he, that he didn't call on Daniel first. And when he did, he still acknowledged Daniel by his Babylonian name. He acknowledged that he was after my God, his God, and that the spirit of the holy gods, plural, was in him. We thought he got it. But really, this is an example of how pride begins to seep in in our lives. Sometimes we can get so caught up in ourselves and in our busyness that we just leave God out of it, right? I picture the king having this dream that shakes him to his bones and he just snaps awake and what's the first thing he does? I need my magicians, I need my, I need my people. How quickly does he forget what he said just verses ahead? But this is, this is how it happens, right? This is how pride starts to seep in. You know, none of us wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today's going to be a real prideful day. Today's going to be a real, that's what I want to be known for. <laughs> but this is how the enemy works. He kind of, he kind of knows where we have those little footholds. He starts to exploit them. It starts to make you wonder all the messages that you're hearing in the world through media or whatnot of, Taking care of yourself. Let's go. You got this. All on your own. Or all with what you're familiar with. Just like the king. He forgot what he said in verse 3 where he's, he's saying, How great are his miracles, mighty his wonder. His kingdom is eternal, dominion from generation to generation. But pride, when we think about pride, it's not, not always this outward boastful, expression, condescending, arrogant, whatever you want to call it. Sometimes the most common and the most damaging type of pride is simply forgetting who God is. It's just waking up in the morning and forgetting who God is for whatever reason. None of us choose it. But that's subtle, and it's undetected. And for the one who's against us having a resilient faith, it's pretty effective. So then the king goes on to tell Daniel about the dream. Verses 10 through 12, it says, In the visions of my mind, as I was lying in my bed, this is the king telling Daniel about his dream, there was a tree in the middle of the earth and it was very tall and the tree grew large and strong and its top reached the sky and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant and on it was food for all wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches and every creature was fed from it. 
And he goes on to say in his dream, he sees a holy one come down from heaven. He commands the tree to be cut down to a stump that remains intact, but it's bound by brass and iron. And then as he goes on to explain his dream, the tree is then personified. So it starts to say, let, let him be drenched with the dew from the sky, talking about the stump, and share the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed from all that is human, and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This word is by decree of the watchers, and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over all kingdoms, over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. So Daniel goes on to interpret this dream, which as we're reading it, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's because we know the whole story, but it does seem like an obvious picture of what's about to happen for the king. But Daniel goes on and he interprets it as being about the king. But Daniel also shows us more than that. Daniel, at this moment in the story, when we're talking about pride and we're talking about how it seeps into our lives, Daniel shows us the exact opposite of pride. Proverbs 8.21 says, Before his downfall, a person's heart is proud, but humility, humility comes before honor. Right in the middle of this story, right in the middle of this chapter, Daniel shows humility. Daniel shows compassion. Daniel shows mercy. It says in verse 19, then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was stunned for a moment. His thoughts alarmed him. So the king said, Belshazzar, don't let this dream or its interpretation alarm you. But Belshazzar, Daniel answered, my Lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. Despite all the king had done, despite all that Daniel and his friends had been through, what he says is out of concern for the king. This man should have been Daniel's enemy, but Daniel didn't treat him that way, did he? And also, Daniel had every reason to feel proud that day. I mean, how would you feel if you were Daniel walking into that room, right? And the king finally calls you. Daniel had just seen God rescue his three friends. He's been summoned by the king. He knows that nobody else can interpret this dream. And on top of that, Daniel had the chance to deliver to this corrupt king the news that God was going to cut him down to a stump. But yet, he not only shows compassion for the king, but he even goes one step further and he, he gives him some advice to say, hey, this is how you could probably avoid this. He says, therefore, may my advice seem good to you, king. 
Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy, mercy to the needy. Perhaps, perhaps then there'll be an extension of your prosperity. How would you feel walking in that room if you were Daniel? You'd feel like, we can, we can so easily be deceived in our own pride and the thinking, I earned this. Look what I'm able to do. Daniel could have easily forgotten God and started thinking these things about himself, started to inflate himself with this sense of pride. We, see, we easily forget about God. We easily attribute so much of what we do. We attribute so much of who we are to ourselves. That doesn't glorify God at all, does it? And so much of our pride shows itself in how we compare ourselves to others. Daniel could have walked into that room and just compared himself to others, right? He could have really built himself up. And we're no different. Like, we love competition. We love to be on top. We all want to walk around the room and, and be that guy that Daniel was, right? I mean, we love it. We're, we're entering into a season. It's just, I mean, Tom Brady, just retire already. Like, what else do you need, right? But we all want to be that guy. People viewing online and even, even us here, like how easy is it for us on social media now to just portray ourselves as that guy? That woman, like that just on top. Students, you're surrounded by this. Sports, grades, looks. And we, everyone in this room knows that that doesn't go away as we get older. This striving for advancement, striving for approval, striving for achievement. We all need to hear this, students, most importantly, you need to hear this. You were not created to be the best. You were created to show that God is the best. That should take a huge weight off of your shoulders. You don't have to be the best. You were created by a God who's full of all the best things. And he invites us to be a part of that. It takes all the best things about us, all the talent, all the blessing. We should choose to live that for God's glory, not our own. You know, I... I can, I can count the blessings in my life, and I can see... The areas that God has blessed me in my life, but it took me a while to start living those for God's glory. And sometimes we can even be deceived into belittling those things. And we'll get to that a little later, just in what a false sense of humility is. But so much less exhausting to take who you are, stop striving to be something else. Take all of the best things about you and to live them for God's glory. 
It's so much less exhausting. And the, the promise and the benefit of God's promise to us goes far beyond the life that we experience here. A competition and achievements, like those aren't, those aren't bad things, but you have to ask yourself, to what end? Am I prideful? Am I placing my, no, my own needs before others? Am I humble? And yet, yet you can achieve and still be humble. I love this quote by Pastor Rick Warren where he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's something that I had to learn. Especially within like Christian circles growing up in the church, it's like, oh, you play guitar, oh, you sing. I would, I would kind of like just dumb that down and say, oh, yeah, you know, that's just something I do. But it took me a while to learn like this, this true sense of humility is existing within that, not thinking less of myself, like taking all of those things, those blessings, those gifts, those talents, and using them to just glorify God. In fact, this week's Next Step email, you'll see on that Next Step card that we handed out, or you can click the link online. This week's Next Step email is gonna talk more about this. How to navigate the truth that as Christians, we proclaim victory in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But we do it through humility. And that's Jesus' example. So if you click that or check that box, we're going to send something out this week to dive more into that. Back to the story, but if there's, there's nothing that, if there's, if there's one thing that King Nebuchadnezzar was not, it was humble. That's what we see in the story. In the story, it goes quickly. Twelve months go by. So after the king explains his dream to Daniel and Daniel interprets it, and in grace and in mercy, he even gives the king advice as to how he could avoid this from happening. The king, he doesn't listen. Daniel 4, 30 says that the king exclaimed, is this not Babylon the great that I've built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? The king, even after the warning, even after the advice, we catch him 12 months later. And we don't know what happens in this 12 months. Like maybe he sways back and forth or maybe he just falls off and then 10, 12 months go by until we see the king again. My Babylon, my vast power, my majestic glory. Could it be? My career, my bank account, my looks, my friends, my talents and abilities. The story says that before the words left the king's mouth, before they even left his mouth, 
a voice from heaven, stripped him of his kingdom, and he was driven away to live insanely like an animal. The story says he ate grass like cattle. His body was just drenched with dew from the sky. It says his, his hair grew like eagle's feathers, and his nails grew like bird's claws. He was legit off the deep end, insane. But like, honestly, like sometimes, can our own pride bring that, us to that point? Sometimes, have you ever had your own pride kind of bring you to a point where you're asked the question, like, what am I doing? Maintaining a prideful life can be exhausting. It can feel never-ending. That constant chase for advancement, for approval, for achievement can feel insane. See, the dark side of being a resilient person is becoming a prideful, self-reliant person. The dark side of being a resilient person is becoming a prideful, self-reliant person. And each one of us can be deceived into subtle ways, big ways, small ways, can be deceived in becoming, into becoming prideful, self-reliant people. So then the real question is, where does your reliance come from? St. Augustine wrote that if you plan to build a tall house of virtues, you must first lay deep foundations of humility. In the King's story, thankfully, it doesn't end there, and neither does ours. It says in verse 34 and 35, but at the end of those days, at the end of those insane days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to the heaven, and my sanity was returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There's no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? These words sound familiar. But these words are more convincing. It goes on to say that his kingdom was restored. So he's pulled, his sanity returns to him and his kingdom is restored. And it says it's restored with even more greatness than before. I want us to look at this. He looked up to heaven. And I'm certain that this wasn't just the physical act of looking up, although I'm sure that that was a part of it. I believe that this was taking all that he was, all that he had, and he was seeing it through the framework of something greater. It says, from that point on, he honored and glorified God. In everything he was and had. And this is the last we hear about Nebuchadnezzar. I have reason to believe he stayed there. The Bible doesn't tell us otherwise. But I love how he says that he looked up. More than just this physical looking up to heaven. 
But what it's saying is like his eyes were just widened to something greater. His eyes were widened to something bigger. And he responded to that in worship. So much of our Christian life, and I think so much even speaking to this idea of pride and how it seeps in, how we can sometimes get to that point where we're, where we're just like, how did I get here? What am I doing? Or maybe it's just, it's just like this, this false sense of pride where we don't really even see it seeping in, you know, because to be proud of something. I passed a police car this morning and it said, uh, service pride and community. To be proud of something is right and good. But it's when that gets a little, that little twist of pridefulness, that little twist of thinking of ourselves more than others. That's when it starts to seep in. It starts, moving, uh, it starts to move us away from who God has called us to be. I pray that you would just open our eyes. Because sometimes we get so caught up, and this is the thing, we get so caught up in what we need to start doing, but we can't just ask God to show us the things we need to start doing. We need to ask him to show us the things that we need to start seeing. Let that be our prayer. God, open our eyes to these things. Because pride has a way of making us self-reliant. We're praised for it today. You know, maybe that self-reliance for some of us might have been just a way of survival. Self-reliance for some of us must, might be that like rags to riches success story. You can still be humble in that. But the enemy keeps hitting us with that arrow. And we don't even know it. So when it comes to pride and self-reliance, this is my question. Where have, you, where have you forgotten about God? Ask yourself that question. God, where have I forgotten about you? Where have I built my life on something other than you? Where have I believed that I, I don't need you? We may not say that outwardly, but we need to have eyes to see our own heart and our own actions because we may be living that out inwardly. Where have I believed that I don't need you? We need to be humble because in our humility, the Bible says that we will be exalted just like Jesus was. Daniel knew that, and eventually I believe that King Nebuchadnezzar knew that too. It says in verse 37, now, I love this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. You think Nebuchadnezzar speaking from experience there? We're gonna move into a time of communion and I apologize, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the service, but the communion elements are in the back behind the sound booth. So if you haven't, gotten those to partake in communion this morning. I won't be offended if you get up and go grab them, but we're going to move into a time of communion now. 
And we're gonna remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, that sacrifice of ultimate humility. And what I wanna do is, is just for each of us, you know, in light of the Spirit moving in our hearts, in light of the Spirit moving through the Word of God, Maybe this act of remembrance this morning is self-reflection and just evaluating your own heart. Maybe your own pride. Maybe, maybe, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't have that huge, maybe what you're thinking of doesn't have that huge like pride stamp on it. Maybe it is a subtle thing. Maybe it's something you're being deceived into believing about yourself. Maybe it's something you need to let go of because for you it was that, that way of survival and it's scary. But in this time of remembrance, to hand that over to God. Remember that through Jesus. There's a power. There's a healing. There's an ability to overcome that. Most importantly, there's forgiveness. Maybe today's that day where you where you remove that thing that's that pride that may be sitting on the throne. And you just acknowledge God, you're on the throne. Take a moment now and when you're ready, you can take communion.